Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church podcast. This week's message is from our current teaching series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. In this series, we will follow the lives of Elijah and Elisha, ordinary men who were called to stand for the one true God in a pagan and godless society. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. Well, you know, it was two years ago, uh, right about this time, actually, two years ago, that I underwent eye surgery, laser eye surgery. How many of you in here have had, had your eyes lasered? All right, Winnie. All right, just Winnie and I. We're the two. That's good. <laughs> well, it's been two years uh, ago that I got the surgery, and I got to tell you, I'm super happy with it. I love it. I'll, I'll be the one to tell you to get it done if you want to get it done. Um, but don't tell China I said that because she works as an optometrist, so <laughs> she's like, no, I want to give people glasses. But um, uh, I got it done a couple years ago, and it was great. And, and for me, it was kind of a big deal because honestly, uh, since the time I was uh, like, I guess, six years old, I had glasses. So I just want to share that with you today. Uh, yeah, so I just want you guys to know I, I had the original bar across the top. You know, I know they're making a comeback now, but uh, yeah, so I think I was like six or seven. Uh, by the way, notice my Bugle Boy shirt. I just want you to see acid wash jeans and a fanny pack. Do you see that right there? <laughs> Neon colored. So, I mean, <laughs> I know even as a kid, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty cool even as a kid. I really cared about it, and uh, since you all needed a laugh this morning, there you go. I had to laugh it up, laugh it up, but uh, I got glasses when I was really young. I, I remember I was six years old, and I got them over at True Value Optical over on West Broadway, which is still there, and I'll never forget that first pair of glasses. You know, I put them on, and I could see the billboard across the street, and I thought that was the greatest thing, but I've had glasses my whole life, contacts as I got a little bit older and stuff, and finally, I was able to. The Lord worked it out for me to get my eyes laser two years ago, and, uh, and it, was, it was amazing, and, and it was something I really looked forward to. Honestly, I did look forward to it, but as, it, as the time came, came as that surgery date approached, I got to be honest with you, I got a little bit nervous. Because what we're talking about here is my eyes, right? <laughs> and, and, and the thing about your eyes is that if something happens to your eyes, there's not a whole lot of repair jobs that can be done to get you back to where you were. And, and I know most of you are sensitive about your eyes. I know I don't want people touching my eyes. I don't want other people touching it. I can touch it, but I don't want other people touching my eyes. And you get nervous of it. And, and it wasn't because of a fear of pain, just because if I knew that if something happened, that it probably wouldn't come back. Now, besides the fact that all of the statistics and everything that I read and studied and everything the doctor said is that there is not one known case of someone losing their eyesight from a laser surgery, I still felt that I would be the exception to that rule, you know. <laughs> there was still a part of me that suspected I might be that first case study. And, uh, and so that day I went in for that surgery and all of these thoughts are running through my head, you know. Jeanette was pregnant with Royal at the time. I thought, am I ever going to be able to see that boy or girl? We were hoping for a girl, but as you know, you know my, uh, my record with that. But um, I was really hoping for a girl and and I was thinking, am I ever going to, you know, see, see my boy? And uh, I assumed it was a boy. You know, will I ever be able to preach again? I had kind of figured out how am I going to preach if I can't see. You know, Jeanette's going to help me write my messages. And then I'll just sort of braille my way through it, you know. And, uh, or I'll record it or something, you know. And I was thinking about all of these things. And, and, and the fact is, is because without our eyesight, I think you guys understand, there's so much of life that you miss. 
so much of, uh, of this world that you would miss out on the colors, you know, the fall and the spring seasons. And of course, our city is just amazing. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I had a chance to go to the, uh, the International Auto Show down at the convention center. And when you kind of walk through it, I mean, the one whole side of that convention center is glass. And you're just looking towards the North Shore Mountains, you know. It's just, it's just an awesome place to live and a place to be. And I got to see all these cool cars. And all of those things, you know, involve your eyes. Uh, the joy of my children, you know, seeing my kids and seeing their eyes light up when I say they can play video games and, uh, and ignore me for the, for the next hour and how excited they get over that. Um, but our eyesight is so very important, isn't it? It is so important. I think we definitely take for granted. I, I have some people in my life who, who have poor eyesight or who are blind. And, uh, and anytime I'm with them, I'm always so thankful for the eyesight that I have. We often take it for granted, but it's very important. But, but today in our message, what I want to point out is that even as important as our eyesight is today, when it comes to the Christian life, spiritual vision or clear spiritual eyesight, I got to be honest with you, is a thousand times more important than your physical eyesight. And just like I needed that surgery to correct my blurry vision and I was right at the edge of legally blind, <laughs> as much as I needed that surgery and glasses and contacts for all those years to correct my blurry vision, for us as Christians, we need some correction on the way that we view life. We need some correction in the way that we uh, look at our circumstances because in our sinful state, we miss out on so much of God's plans and we miss out so much on God's involvement in our lives because our spiritual eyesight is not clear. And that's what I mean by spiritual vision we're going to talk about today or spiritual eyesight. The way that you perceive God at work in your life. The way that you see God involving himself in your experiences and your situations. The way that we as Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, sense uh, God's guidance and, God, and sense his direction when we make decisions. Because without it, without a good spiritual vision, the, the truth is you can miss out on his work in your life. You can miss out and not see ways that God is working behind the scenes. The ways that God is involving himself in the situations and decisions that you face. And so today, as we conclude our series, today we're finished. This is the final message in our, in our series here. As we finish it, we're going to look at a story that revolves around two different groups of people. Now, both of these groups of people are suffering from spiritual blindness. They're both suffering from blindness, and they both need spiritual vision from God. And so let's begin today in 2 Kings chapter number 6. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 8, and I want you to follow along with me. This is a really fun story. In verse number 8, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. So we're introduced here to the king of Syria, and of course we know that uh, Israel was often invaded by Syria. They would come in, and they would attack. They would have these raiding parties and, and all of these... Uh, um, uh, situations that they faced. And, and so uh, he says here, let's go in and let's, uh, let's uh, go and put my camp in, in, uh, in Israel. Verse number nine, and the man of God. Now, who's the man of God at this point? Who are we talking about? Elisha, right? Elisha, he's the man of God. So it says here that the man of God sent unto the king of Israel. So Syria is attacking Israel. The man of God sends to the king of Israel. Look what he says. And took, uh, verse number nine, saying, beware that thou pass not such a place for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice, 
So more than once or twice is what he's saying, okay? Not once or twice. So what's happening here? So Syria's attacking. Elisha told the king of Israel, don't go here because the king of Syria is there. And so he kept avoiding him more than once. More than once. Interesting, right? So verse number 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He was ticked off. And he said, and he called his servants and said unto them, look what he said. Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's looking for a spy is what he's saying. Which one of you, he brings them all in, one of you is telling them where we're going because every time we go, we set up camp, we're going to set up a siege. No one's there. They never come that way. Which one of you is, is ratting me out? Right now, I'm kind of in a little bit of a spy type series on Netflix. And so I'm, I'm in tune to this passage right now. Just so you know, I'm right there. I'm with you. And so he accuses them of it. Verse 12, and one of his servants said, none, my Lord. Well, of course, they're going to say that. None, my Lord, O king. But Elisha, so he had the answer here. Interesting. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. (laughs) The phone lines are tapped. (laughs) They're reading your emails. This is the NSA here, right? Going on right here, you know. He says, whatever you're saying in your bedroom, (coughs) that's weird enough. He says, that's what Elisha is saying to the king of Israel. Verse number 13, so he responds, and he said, go and spy where he is, cloak and dagger stuff, that I might send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore, send either their horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and they compassed the city about. So someone discovered where Elisha was. He says, send a whole whole bunch of people there and they surround this city and we're going to get this guy. We're going to get Elisha. Then verse number 15. And when the the servant of the man of God was risen early, so now the servant of the man of God. Now, I'm just going to say right now, this is not Gehazi. Remember, we've talked about Gehazi before. Now, he, okay, Gehazi, I didn't even preach about this. I should have preached about this a few weeks ago. But you remember the story of Naaman, right, and how he went down to the water, and and remember he had tried to offer money. You remember that? He had offered money uh, for healing, and of course, you know, Elisha had rejected it. He had healed him anyway. The story continued, which we didn't have time to cover on that Sunday, but the story continued that Gehazi, this servant who had been with him for all of those years, went after Naaman and said, actually, he changed his mind. Give us some money. Give us some clothing. And then he took that himself, and he went and he hid it. When he came back to Elisha, Elisha said to him, where have you been? He said, oh, I've just, you know, been out doing nothing. And Elisha said to Gehazi, his servant, he said, the same leprosy that was on Naaman is now on you. And he, and he immediately had leprosy. Wow. Interesting, hey? So it's not Gehazi, because he, he's probably, he's in a leper colony, all right? Always do the right thing, right? Even when you think no one else is going to find out. Even when it seems like it's just right there. You know, he's like, free money. But Elisha had already made the decision. We're not going to take it, because it's not about buying gifts from God, is it? And so the decision had already been made. But now he has another servant. He has somebody who's with him. So when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He says to Elisha, Hey, (laughs) what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We are surrounded on every side by the Syrian army. Elisha, you got us into this thing. What are we going to do now? Now, what I want us to see here in our passage is a parallel 
between the way that this servant reacts to the situation and how often we as Christians react to life's challenges and life's difficulties. Because so often, even though we know better as Christians, we are often blind to seeing a situation as we truly should see it. And when a difficulty comes, we say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we may even say to God, Master, Father, what are we going to do in this situation? So the first point I want us to look at today is the blindness of the believer. Now, this servant had been with Elisha, so he was part of, of, of his, his entourage. He had seen things happen. He knew what God could do. But we see him there that morning getting up early. He's rubbing his eyes. He's maybe making coffee for Elisha. And uh, he, he stretches, you know, and he maybe goes out to the outside of the city. What a beautiful morning it is, you know, and he's singing. And as he kind of is rubbing his eyes, he's like, wait a second. <laughs> Those are not friendlies. <laughs> Those are not friendlies out there. We're totally surrounded. And he kind of, uh, kind of freaks out. The word alas means to express grief. So he, he was pretty terrified. Now, again, this was a guy who was with the prophet of God. This was the guy who was there while Elisha was playing cat and mouse with the king of Syria. He had seen all of this. He had seen these things. He had seen God deliver him. He had been with Elisha and God had used him in so many different situations. But now that the army was at their doorstep, now that he felt like he was surrounded on every, every side, he forgot who he was with and he forgot who Elisha represented. And so he goes to him and he says, what are we going to do? Now, this is a picture for us here. This is a picture for us as Christians of how we often react when we're faced with the challenges of life. We immediately become blind to the situation. We see it and immediately we say, what, what in the world is happening? What are we going to do? We'll go through life and we'll trust God and we'll go through life praying for other people. We'll go through life seeing how God works in other people's lives. But as soon as something comes our way and as soon as something makes us feel surrounded, we immediately say, what am I going to do now? Why am I facing this? And it's like we lost sight completely of God. It's like he just disappeared from our mind altogether. Just boom, he's gone. God's just psh, totally gone. You ever been there before? You ever been there in that kind of situation? And it's like God doesn't even exist because he's the last thing you're thinking about. Whatever it is, it just, you're just like, this is right in front of me. What am I going to do? How am I going to go through this? How am I going to get through this? And when that happens, what takes place is that as Christians, we forget two main things about the characteristics of God. The two things that we forget about the character of God is what we are doing is that we are forgetting his goodness and we're forgetting his strength. At that moment when you say, what am I going to do? And you are facing a situation and you're facing a challenge of life and you say, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to work through this? What you're doing is you've eliminated from your mind the goodness and the strength of God. You've diminished God to pretty much powerless in your life. See, when those trials go, come and those expectations go unmet, it's almost as if we don't know his grace. And then that leads us to worry and it leads us to fear and it leads us to second-guess following Christ. How many of you ever second-guessed Christ before? Maybe I shouldn't be following God. You ever felt like that? It's okay to be honest. But it's true, and I know that because I've experienced it in my own heart. Okay, am I really doing the right thing here? Is this really what I should be doing? And it's because we forget who God is. We become inwardly focused. We'll make decisions then outside of his will for us, all because we become blind to his promises to his people. Think of the last time in your life where you felt like things were out of your control and you were overcome with fear. Just take a minute and think about it. I'm thinking of something right now because <laughs> it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to think of a time where we felt things were out of control and we just became overcome with fear. But I want you to also reflect back now with 
2020 vision, right? Hindsight being 2020. And if you reflect back to that situation now and you look back, if you really reflect on it and you really think about it, I'll see how God was still in control. <laughs> I'll look back and recognize that at that time for me, I was questioning God's love for me. I was questioning his sovereignty in my life. And what we need is spiritual corrective eye surgery. Because when it comes to the believer, the blindness that we have, it can only be corrected with the promises of God. So the blindness of the believer is corrected with the promises of God. I'll explain this here. In First Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, and then in verse number 16, the story continues. So he says, what are we going to do? And he answered. Now this is Elisha, the man of God. This is what he says. Fear not. That's easy for you to say. Fear not. <laughs> Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now we could stop right here and preach a whole message on that phrase. And we'd all be shouting. I mean, quietly in our hearts, right? <laughs> Lest anyone hear us. That's a, what a great phrase. Don't fear because there are more with us than with them. Now, immediately put yourself in the shoes of that servant. What are you talking about, Elisha? There's more with us. There's me and you and a cup of coffee. You know, like, what are we going to do here? How are we going to fight these guys? Verse 17, here's a key. Elisha prayed. Elisha prayed. Whenever you're in a, a trial, the first thing you should do is pray. Every time. Every time. Go to the Lord in prayer. And he prayed and he said, Lord, I pray thee. Open his eyes that he may see. He's talking about the servant. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now it only took one chariot to take Elijah to heaven. And he's saying here that the entire mountain is full of horses and chariots of fire all around them on every side. I love this. I love this. Here's why I love it. Because Elisha was the one who had a clear vision of the situation. He was the one who truly knew what was going on. And so when his servant came in in panic and, and he's all upset, he just says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There's more to your situation than you can see at this time. There is more to this barrier than you can see at this moment. And Elisha was looking at this this circumstance, this uh, attack, if you want to call it that, with spiritual vision. Because here's the thing. There's never a more important time to see the world with spiritual vision than when you are feeling afraid. When you're feeling afraid. Now, I know we're adults here today, and you know all the kids are downstairs. I know we're adults, but when I was young, I used to think that I'd never be afraid anymore when I became an adult. Remember that feeling? When I'm, man, when I'm an adult... Um, no fear. In fact, when I was a kid, that was kind of a very popular brand, no fear. Remember those? And probably you don't. Um, no fear. And, uh, it, but the fact is, is that I think there's more fear as an adult, isn't there? Because <laughs> now I have fear for my own kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they're living without fear. Uh, <laughs> I mean, theoretically, right? <laughs> That's the goal. And, and, and you have all these fears and and man, life is just, it's just full of fear. So much. But I've learned in my life that whenever I'm afraid, I should trust in Him. And when I trust in Him, it means I'm looking at the world a little bit differently. I'm looking at the situation 
from a spiritual viewpoint rather than a fleshly viewpoint. This servant, all he saw was the army of Syrians out there. That's all he saw. Elisha saw the truth, and the truth was is that God had not abandoned them. God had not left them out to dry. For many of us, we look at our situations like this young man, and we see the trials of life and the pain and the sorrow and the unmet expectations and the relationship issues that we have, and we cry out in fear. And we, and we say, what are we going to do? And rather than looking at those situations with spiritual eyes and recognizing that God is there on our behalf, that his promises are still true, in the middle of a situation, uh, we are looking at it only from what we can see right in front of us. And we're not having that viewpoint that God is still in control, that God still loves us. See, spiritual vision is trusting God's promises even when it seems like he's not there. And that's the difference between this servant and Elisha. This servant is saying, what are we going to do? We're under attack. Elisha says, no, God's still with us. There's more that are for us than are against us. And I'll tell you today, whatever situation you're in right now in your life, God has more for you than you could ever come up with on your own. God is going to walk you through that trial. God's going to give you the grace to get through it. He's going to give you the grace to endure. He's going to give you the grace to be molded and to change into his image. And it's only going to come through the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And as you look to him and as you see your situations with the mind of Christ and not a heart of flesh, which is so often how we view them. Because the heart of flesh gets fearful and gets worried and gets concerned and says, what am I going to do? The mind of Christ says, you know what? God is going to get me through this thing. God is there for me. We have to remember the promises of God. God's our protector, isn't he? In Psalm 37, verse 4, it tells us that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Other passages in, in Psalms tells us that God is our defense. It says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth ever forever. By the way, these are uh, Psalms that David wrote. And so Elisha and his servant would have known these things. I love the, the picture. Are you seeing the verses I picked out kind of connect to the situation? The mountains surround Israel and are, uh, is his defense. So the Lord is around about his people. In Psalms 27, verse number five, it shows us that the Lord is our refuge. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. When we are afraid, when we are going through situations we don't understand, we've got to have clear spiritual vision. The Apostle Paul brought this up in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Right in the middle of the, of the book, really, this is what he said. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. In verse number 19, something rare happens. Paul runs out of words. Did you see that there in verse 19? He says, to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. I can't even describe it for you is what he's saying. And then before he says that your hearts will be rooted and grounded in love. That's God's love. And then he describes God's love. He says, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? He says there is no bounds to God's love. And if, God, if there's no bounds to God's love, then there's no bounds to God's strength in your life. And if God loves you that much, then he's going to be there for you. It passes all kind of knowledge. You know, remember when you were a kid, maybe you said this to your parents, or, or if you're a parent, maybe your kids said this, you know, they say, I love you this much. 
you know, and you're like, I love you this much. And then they go, wow, you know, dad's arms are so big, you know, and, and, uh, and all that. And, and, and we try to describe how much, you know, we love, we love our family or whatever it may be, but God, there's no, there's no end. It's, it's all encompassing. And God's love and God's care for you far exceeds any of our human understanding. And when we carry that knowledge with us, when you walk through life knowing that there's no limits to God's love for you, it can help you have the spiritual vision you need to face life. I cannot tell you how many times that I've faced a trial personally. And in, that, in the middle of the trial, God has convicted me about this. Because when I'm in a trial and I feel like I'm all alone and I'm abandoned, do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying that God's love doesn't matter in my life. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody in your life who you could have helped, but because they didn't tell you about what they were going through, you weren't there for them? And you found out later on? You ever been frustrated by that? I've been frustrated by that. As a pastor, sometimes it happens, you know, someone's like, they come to church on Sunday, like, I was in the hospital all week. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you know, I would have come and visited you. Or I'll never forget when I was working at my dad's church. Uh, I think I've shared this with you before one time, but this, this elderly lady came in and and uh, she, uh, she and her husband always came to church, and, and she came in by herself. And, and so uh, I know my dad went to her. I was like, hey, you know, how, you know, where's your husband today? And she's like, oh, he died. He's like, what? She's like, yeah, we already buried him. What? Like within a week, he had died like Monday. They had a little funeral. She didn't tell anybody. And I, I'll never forget how uh, upset's maybe not the right word, but my, my dad was just sort of like, I could have been there for you, you know? Like I could have at least said, he'd known him for about 20 years. He's like, I could have been there for you, you know, and he was upset by that. And so you know the feeling. You guys understand that feeling when someone, and, and that's how it is we treat God. That's how we treat God, though, is we say when, when we're facing something, we're like, what am I going to do? I, don't, I got no hope. I can't, you know, there's no answers to this situation. God's like, hello, <laughs> breadth, depth, width of height. You know, I have this for you. I have this promise for you to take with you. But we become so blind to his involvement. We face so many things, and I got to ask you today, what are you blind in right now what circumstance are you facing what challenge are you looking at and you're feeling surrounded and you're saying what am I going to do can I encourage you this morning to have some spiritual vision and that spiritual vision involves the promises of God his love his watch care the fact that he promises to never leave you nor forsake you that doesn't mean that nothing bad happens to us you know that but it does mean that no matter what we face he will walk through us uh, walk through it with us and he'll be there but by your side it's such a strength and such a comfort that we have as believers that those who do not know Christ don't have. But yet so often we pretend like we don't have it either. And we struggle like someone without Christ, but we have an entire word of God right here with promise after promise, with instruction after instruction, with help after help, that so often when we're facing difficulties, we're like, what am I going to do? You know, and if the Bible could talk, you know, be like, I'm right here, you know, <laughs> read, right? Read me, look at, it's right here. And there, and it's just right here for us, but we have to avail ourselves of it. And so spiritual vision gets corrected when we look at and we pursue the promises of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to look up from your Bible and see angels and chariots of fire. and all. If you do, please come and talk to me. Um, but we have our Bible. And that's the great thing. When that which is perfect is come, Scripture says. And this is what he's talking about, the completed Word of God. We have everything we need to live life today. 
And it's there to help us see clearly again. And so that's the blindness of the believer. And the blindness of the believer is corrected with the promises of God. But as we continue the story, we see the blindness of the unbeliever. The blindness of the unbeliever. Let's look at verse number 18. It says, and when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto, look at that. He prayed again. He prayed twice. What do you know? (laughs) And he said, this is his prayer right here. Eight words. Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. (laughs) Hey, interesting thought. Whenever you read scripture and you read the prayers of the prophets and these great men of God, they're like this long. (laughs) You know, we often think that great power comes with long prayers, right? You know, like if I can put a good 45 minutes into this one, God will answer it for sure. Sometimes God answers those cries of desperation. Those, those, Lord, I need you now. And that's what he does here. He says, Lord, would you smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. He had just said, open his eyes, blind them. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Isn't it interesting? God answers the prayers of his people. And Elisha said unto them, this is really fun. This is not the way. Neither is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. This is so fascinating. He prays, he says, Lord, would you strike these guys? I love the word smite. Would you smite them with blindness? And uh, obviously, I think we understand from the situation, it wasn't like a complete blindness. It had to be some sort of a delusion of some sort because then he walks down to them and he says, you guys are at the wrong city. And they're like, okay. He says, follow me and I'll show you where to go. And so he takes them on this journey. And you see the verse there, it says that he took them to Samaria. That's a 17 kilometer journey. I don't think he was leading them by hand. You're like, watch your step left, right? I mean, he, they, they, for whatever reason, God <laughs> smote them with some sort of blindness. It's, it's described to us, but a delusion. Or, and so they're like, okay, let's follow this guy. He must know, you know, he must know what's going on. I always wonder, what do they talk about along the way? <laughs> you know, what kind of like, oh, you see over here is, I don't know. I don't know what they did. But this army and their leaders, they follow him and he leads them over to Samaria. In fact, he leads them to the king of Israel. Now, interesting. I want you to see this. The whole time, this army and their leaders think that they know what they're doing. I want you to see that. They think that, and, and they're being deceived, by the way. <laughs> they're, be, they're following after Elisha here. They thought that if they could find and if they'd capture Elisha, if this person, this mysterious person who's leading them on the way, you know, if uh, I always imagine maybe he just had like a pixeled face. And so they're just like, okay, we don't know who it really is. We'll follow him. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that doesn't actually happen. But, uh, you know, they follow him and they could find Elisha. We'll capture him. All of our problems, everything would be over. But, but that was not the case. Now, again, we're looking at pictures here. Now, this is a picture of the unbeliever. The unbeliever who lives their entire life thinking that they understand the world clearly, thinking that they're headed in the right direction, thinking that they're going and they're trying to achieve something that they actually need. But the fact is, is that they truly can't without Christ. In John chapter number nine, uh, in the situation there, Jesus healed a blind man. And that's a really great story. And I think we covered it in our series of the life of Christ, but he healed the blind man. Of course, the Pharisees came out of the woodwork and attacked him, you know, and they're accusing him of things and And so Jesus told them right there in front of him, he said, I am the son of God to the Pharisees. He said, I am the son of God. It's clear as day. But yet they were so blinded by their pride, by their religiousness, that they thought they were still right. 
They did not recognize the Messiah and he was right in front of them. You see that multiple times throughout the New Testament where Jesus would say, I am the son of God. And he'd make a very clear statement that he was God, he was the Messiah, and they, they didn't see it. They were blinded by it. Well, in verse number 40 of John chapter 9, and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto them, are we blind also? This is really interesting. Remember, he just healed a guy from blindness. And, they, and he says this to them. They don't get it. And so they say to him, are we blind also? Look what Jesus said unto them. This is really interesting. He says, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, like we know, therefore your sin remaineth. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying if they recognize that they were blind, they would then see the truth about God. But because they thought that they could see correctly, they were then missing out on the truth. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. <laughs> when they were, uh, he's saying to them, if you recognize that they were blind, he said, if you knew that you were truly blind and needed healing and needed to be, needed to see clearly, he says, then you would see the truth about God. But because they think they see it clearly, they think they got it all figured out, they're missing out on the truth. And that really is our world today. Our world today thinks that they have things figured out. They think that they can live without God. They feel that uh, they've discovered what will make them happy. They feel like they know what they should pursue to, feel that, uh, to fill that void uh, in their lives. But just like these soldiers, the only way true satisfaction can be found is when you are captured by God. Now, I want you to see this here, what happens in the story. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now, Samaria is Israelite territory. It's where the king is. Look at verse 21. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, awesome. <laughs> My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? He says it twice. He's like, can I smite? I mean, can I kill these guys? This is a, this is a enemy army. And they're all just following Elisha like zombies, you know, we're just going to follow him around. And he's like, dude, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, can, can, I, can I kill him? Can we kill these guys? And then verse number 22, there's some cool things happening here. And he answered, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? He says, would you, would you kill those that you had taken captive in a, in a military endeavor? He says, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. He says, feed them and then send them back to the king of Syria. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Did you see that there? They no more came to the land of Israel, these enemy army, armies. armies. <laughs> Here's what I want us to get. The blindness of the unbeliever is corrected through the grace of God. The blindness of the unbeliever is co corrected through the grace of God. So these men, once they recognize they're in the hands of the king of Israel, I'm sure they thought their number was up, don't you? They're, they're looking around like, wait a minute. <laughs> we are right in the middle. I'm sure they were surrounded. Uh, you know, I'm sure the Israelite army was there. But Elisha here gives this instruction to the king of Israel, and the instruction he gives to him here is a picture of the grace of God in the life of an unbeliever. Because even though these were enemies, right? They were, they were not in their land. They were trying to take people and, and take Elisha and, and, uh, and steal and kill and all of those kind of things in Israel. Even though they were their enemies, this king then through Elisha's instruction gave, him, uh, gave them grace. 
And in the same way for the unbeliever who is dead in their trespasses and sin, they deserve the wrath of God. By all rights, those that do not know Christ, who have rejected his son, deserve the wrath of God. Yet God provided a way of escape through his grace. And he did way more than just provide a meal and say, walk away. He provided his grace by giving his life as the full atonement for our sins. To those who could not hope to save themselves, who were stumbling blindly through the world, those that, uh, could, uh, that thought they were going in the right way, but they're going in the wrong direction, and God extended his grace and welcomed them into the palace of his glory through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's the picture that we see here in this passage. Now, to an unbeliever, this seems like a foolish thing, doesn't it? To an unbeliever, it seems like just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous because their eyes are blinded. But once their eyes are opened... They can sing like us, amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my king, should die for me. Listen, for many of you here today, if you look back two or five or ten years ago or even more, you personally would have mocked the idea of ever sitting in a church service like you are right now. You would have laughed and laughed. (laughs) You know, if someone said to you three years ago, oh yeah, you know, in about three years, you'll be like super faithful. You'll be going to church. You'll be reading your Bible, you'll be studying, and you'll be learning all these things, and, and you would have laughed and laughed and maybe cursed them. I don't know. You would have been maybe unkind to them. But now, because of God's grace in your life, you're here. And you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because now you see God's grace changed you. These soldiers, we see the change that took place. The grace that was extended to them, the mercy that was given to them, changed them so they came not again anymore. Under that king, they never attacked again. Later on they did, but under that king, they never attacked again. And because they were, they were changed by just that small expression of grace. The soldier that stood at the foot of the cross while Jesus was being crucified, he was changed seeing the way that he handled that whole situation. And he proclaimed him as the son of God. And we today are saved by grace, by seeing God's work for us on the cross. I got to ask you today, who in your life could be changed by the grace of God right now? Who in your life, what family member, what coworker, what friend that is close to you could be changed by the grace of God if you would but share it with them? See, God's grace is a powerful thing, isn't it? It can cause the blind to see. It can cause the dead to be made alive. That eternal life in heaven is possible through the grace of God. And I love the picture that we see here, how he extended grace to them, and it changed the whole relationship there. And with us, if we would show and reveal God's grace to someone, if we would share with them the truth of the gospel, it can radically change their life and open up a whole world of sight to them. Both believers and unbelievers need to see a fresh glimpse of God's love. We need to see that today. And the thing is this, is that one glimpse of God's love will do way more than any doctrinal lesson or theological understanding, to be honest with you. Because it's God's love that changes our spiritual vision. So many people today thrive on Bible knowledge, and I'm all for Bible knowledge. I love Bible trivia. I love Hebrew verb tenses. (laughs) some of you may as well I don't know yes it's fun to study those things and we want to know all of these things about the Bible we want to understand all of these intricacies and in all of this but I got to tell you a fresh look at God's love for you and his love for the world is worth way more than any study that you could do 
way more than you've been able to tell me all the 12 tribes and the exact position of land that they were given by inheritance and, and by telling me all of these things. Just having a fresh glimpse of God's love in your life can change you dramatically and can change your passion in your heart. Jesus did not die to fill our heads with information. He did not. He died to fill our hearts with his love, with his purpose, sharing that love with the world all around us. You got to think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. The Apostle Paul knew that all of the teaching and all of the study in the world cannot produce spiritual sight, and he knew it firsthand. How did, how did he know it firsthand? You remember his conversion story on the Damascus Road? He was the most religious man out there. He said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews, <laughs> our Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, I know everything that you need to know about the law. I know all of the different 630 different laws. I know all of these things. I'm a religious person. But it took God striking him with blindness for him to actually be able to see. He was out persecuting the church of God. He was persecuting those that were following after Jesus. But when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, then something changed in his life and he was able to see clearly. God obviously radically changed him. My takeaway for today is just simply this. Let's be people with spiritual vision. Let's be Christians. For those of you that are saved today, let's be people of spiritual vision, not just for your own benefit and for your own strength, but for the benefit of others who have not yet turned to Christ. Because here's what a Christian who has spiritual vision does. A Christian with spiritual uh, vision can look at a situation and use that situation to share God's grace with somebody else every time. Maybe you know someone like that in your life. They could be going through the roughest time in their life and they're witnessing to people about it. I'm always amazed at that because I, I, I struggle with that. You know, if I'm in a hospital, I'm just like, whoa, is me, right? You know, if my kid's in the hospital, I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking about me. But so many people in my life that I know who go through terrible and difficult situations, they use those opportunities to witness for the Lord. And it's because they're seeing it with spiritual vision. They're not just in the here and now, like, oh, you know, I'm struggling right now. What they're looking at is that, okay, God has given me an opportunity now to witness. Uh, Dennis Fountain, we were at their place this week, and as I mentioned earlier, and his dad uh, was a pastor for something like 40 years. And uh, he's there in Moses Lake now. And one of the main reasons is, is because he's been battling cancer for several years. And uh, thankfully, he's, he seems to be doing pretty good, but I know he's had some very close calls with death over the last few years, multiple times. And one of the things about his testimony, though, that always amazes me, and Dennis has shared this with me, is that every time that he's, you know, doing chemo, every, I don't know, however often he's in for chemo and all of that, he said the whole time, he said, my dad is just witnessing to people. And he's been able to lead so many people to Christ through his cancer, uh, and, and it's because he looks at it with that spiritual vision. He says, yes, right now is difficult lost all his hair, lost you know, tons of weight. They thought he was going to die more than one occasion. But he looked at it as this, God's given me an opportunity here. God will give me the strength to get through this, but at the same time, I'm going to allow my spiritual vision of this situation to share God's grace with other people as well. I'm always inspired by that. And rather than looking at life and just saying, what am I going to do, right? Alas, God, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Step back a little bit and just look and realize that, listen, God's promises are still there for you today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what hardships you're going through right now. And I know it's easy for me to say, but I also can say, you don't know what I'm going through, right? <laughs> and I don't know everything that you're going through, but I do know this, God's grace is sufficient for me. It is in my weakness that we find strength. That's when God can do his greatest work in us, but it takes spiritual vision, spiritual vision, 
Don't be blind to God's work in your life. Step back. And I'd encourage you with this as well. Maybe there's an unbeliever in your life that is blind. They're pursuing all the things of this world. I'll say this. Christians do the same thing. We just pursue the things of this life. We just pursue uh, the things of this world and, and we think we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we even convince ourselves we're doing it for the Lord. But if you'd step back a little bit and just say, okay, is this truly what God's desire is for me? There's so many people who pursue worldly things and you can share God's grace with them and see that radical change in them. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for you.